There are 665 days until the 2024 midterm elections, and it has been a crazy couple of weeks. And to help us break it all down, joining us from Melbourne, Australia, the great Dr. Lena Rodriguez. Lena, it is so awesome to have you here. Thank you so much. It is a total buzz to be here, let me tell you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> as a- as I mentioned, and, and for everybody who's watching, this is live. And Lena mm-hmm. is in Melbourne where it is 4 o'clock in the morning. That is how dedicated she is to the project. Know, and it's Saving Wednesday morning, so I'm coming to you from tomorrow, which is one of my special powers. That's- fascinating um before everybody else gets here i do want to talk about that but i also i just because i'm a massive tennis fanatic i'm wondering if you're going to be going to the australian i'm an absolute tennis junkie we've already been watching matches 18 hours a day here in the lead-in so what what an embarrassment of riches the new united cup was oh. phenomenal and it was so amazing to see my favorite ten- one of my favorite tennis players of all time Aga Radwanska coaching the Polish team getting to see you know singles players playing with other uh countrymen and it, I, I just loved every smiling. bit of that players smiling yeah, yeah like enjoying <laughs> themselves and uh because I don't, I mean, I think there were some points on the line, but it wasn't like a career making or breaking. Um, mm. But now we settle down to the serious business of the first Grand Slam of 2023. It's hardcore. And my favorite thing too every year is Jim Courier comes out um, to commentate, you know, mm-hmm. the thinking woman's crumpet, you could say. <laughs> is, that, is that what it's then? You must have loved his heyday when men's shorts were like, two inches I know. who can forget those 70 shorts they were, the worst. They were ridiculous um but i mean i could literally talk about tennis with you for the entire <laughs> yeah. time but for the Best sake of our God. viewers let's not do that um okay so you are by profession a sociologist which is a yeah. fascinating field of study um and i'm sure it's come in very handy over the last several years. Uh, And we'll get to that. But I want to start with the reason you're here, because I came across one of your videos literally three minutes before the show we did. I don't know if it was last week or maybe two weeks ago. And um, it you in your show, you read tarot cards about an event or yes. about, uh, you know, somebody who's in the news at the moment. And uh, for three or four minutes in that that particular episode, you read tarot cards about my fraud case against my family. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was fascinating. Full disclosure, I don't, I'm not a tarot card person. I'm sure. But <laughs> you're sure, you know, you know, I'm a skeptic. Is that what you're saying to me? Uh, that. It, there was something so disarming and charming and sincere about the way you went about it that uh, I I played it on the show and everybody who was there that day was just absolutely uh, enamored. <laughs> so oh, wow, that so, is so cool to hear. So yeah. here we are, and then you know I don't I don't often get to um, read. Uh, viewers comments as the show's going on so I try to catch up with them after and I'd say 90% of them <laughs> were about you and how great you are 
So here, and here we are. Drew your attention. <laughs> and I must send a shout out to my intrepid viewers, as we are called in this community. Yep. Um, thank you, guys. They really did deluge you in the best possible way, it would appear. Yep. Hi, Jen. <laughs> Hi, how are you? Oh, I just Good. I just texted you. Hello, hello, Jen Taub, Dr. Lena Rodriguez. Bonjour. <laughs> it's four o'clock in the morning uh-huh. in Melbourne, Australia. So this is seriously, this is uh-huh. this is hardcore. So anyway, we were Jen, we were just uh, talking about the the video and uh that that we love so much. Yes. And how how we got here but also um you know i'm i'm very curious to know how how you got involved in tarot but also how your show came about and what what the particular spin not spin i don't mean that in a negative way angle whatever yeah Yeah. (laughs) well it's a story of course 2016 right so the world something happen yeah the world's watching And we saw it unfold, you know, that this corrupt, pussy-grabbing Neanderthal became the leader of the free world. And, you know, like everyone, I was beside myself. Sends chills down my spine. Ah, absolutely horrifying. And then I was completely obsessed. I had followed American politics broadly for decades, but this was another dimension. And I thought... I've got to find an outlet because I'm not going to have any friends left, right, because people were going back <laughs> to their normal lives in Australia and I'm going, what about the emoluments? <laughs> you know, what's happening? The Hatch Act. Oh, my God. We should have connected like seven years ago. No kidding. <laughs> so I'm consuming huge amounts of mainstream American news and up pops on my feed a woman reading tarot cards on Steve Bannon. And it was fascinating, insightful, interesting. And I thought, wow, political tarot, that's niche. (laughs) That is indeed. So I went and dug the cobwebs out of the tarot decks under my bed and sort of got up to speed and didn't think the channel would last more than a couple of weeks. But now over 600 videos on your uncle, the Yeti, every nuance of his presidency and the abject capitulation of the GOP, all of it. So now I'm in for the long haul. That's incredible. And, and Jen, it's just also a reminder how egocentric Americans are, like the idea that a, an American would even know what's going on in Australia. Now, granted, I know it's, it's, a, it's not a, an exact comparison because for better or worse, often yeah. worse, as we're seeing in uh, Brazil, um, what America does reverberates around the world. Uh, like- oh, Mary. I mean, Australia, we all know about the koalas and the kangaroos. And then, yeah. yeah, right? Yes, that's 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 And how it's uh, summer there right now. I know. It's, yeah, of course it's summer. The so they say, but, you know, every day is a new day here. I've got a cardigan on. You know, like it's ridiculous. But it's also four o'clock in the morning. So of course it you're is cold. Of course you're chilly. <laughs> um, yeah. So speaking of the insanity of the GOP that just continues to unfold, Jen, and I also for our, our viewers, I want to uh, point out that our friend Eugene Carroll, mm. uh, who is suing 
or ha- has been suing Donald Trump mm. for a quite long time now uh, for defamation because he said, I don't know how to, I mean, they were defamatory comments. The question is, Jen, right, can he be held accountable because was he defaming her in the context of his job as a government official, which I find absolutely maddening. But anyway, the the the, the uh, case has, has wound its way through the courts, and now they're in D.C., and you've been uh, live tweeting it. So can you give us just a really quick update uh, before we move on? Because uh, this E. Jean's heroism here has, has been unparalleled, and her tenacity and the tenacity mm. of uh, her legal team part of which is my legal team, the amazing Robbie Kaplan and Matt, who's not on my team. And I, sorry, I can't remember. Joshua Matz. Thank I just mixed them up. Joshua Matz, um, who've just been doing extraordinary work. So if you could give us a sense of where things are right now, where do you think things are going to be going and what to expect in terms of a ruling, that would be awesome. I would be happy to, but um, as is my custom, I'm eating, and so I want to show people in case they're wondering. This is not a paid-for advertisement, but I am having a Trader Joe's um, This Strawberry Walks Into a Bar for lunch. <laughs> it's just a cereal bar. It's not the most nutritious. Okay. So, Mary, an answer, to your, an answer to your question, and I will keep this brief, but not so brief that it's confusing. Um. There, E. Jean has two cases against Donald Trump. The first one she brought several years ago, arguing that he defamed her, and this was during the time when he was president, when in response to um, the book uh, that she she wrote uh, that includes um, some information and allegations about him sexually assaulting her in the 1990s in a dressing room at Bergdorf Goodman, this lawsuit um, claims that he defamed her uh, when he um, when he not just denied uh, that he had raped her, but he said things to the effect that she's not my type, implying that mm. not only was she lying, but she's um, so unattractive was his implication that she wouldn't even be worthy of, of rape. As but what's the implication of that? If she were his type, then, yeah, maybe he would have raped her. But in terms of, yes, and but the also the other piece of it, too, saying that she was accusing her of being paid by third parties. Um, so these are the uh, alleged defamatory statements. And Eugene brought a case. And separately, she is this year, that was several years ago, this November, she brought a new case um, of defamation because he also redefamed her making similar statements after he was no longer president and she also brought that that case under something called the adult survivors act about the underlying um underlying sexual assault so there's two different cases today's hearing related to that first one and i just want to be clear about why it's in the um, dc court of appeals um, and you can think of the D.C. Court of Appeals as the equivalent of the highest court in a given state. Obviously, Dis- District of Columbia is not a state, uh, but it should be. I see a kid. Um, it sh- the D- District of Columbia should be a state. It's not. Um, so why is why is there an important hearing there? And this is the part. Um, and I will again. I will be brief, but I think it's super interesting and important. Um, if you listened in today, because the the uh, argument was on YouTube, your head might have hurt. 
Uh, mine certainly did, and I teach law, and I teach procedure, and I'm familiar uh, because of, of uh, my um, business law courses, the law of agency. So a lot of what they're talking about is extremely familiar to me, but much of what they're dealing with is extremely specific and arcane because it relates to the intersection of many areas of law. The bottom line, though, is this. The very first case that E. Jean um, brought against Donald um, she brought it in state court. Donald's, uh, Donald and the Department of Justice removed it, brought it into federal court. Bill Barr. De- brought it into federal court, and the Department of Justice said, uh, we are responsible, not Donald, because there's a law that says um, the Department of Justice, I'm uh, sorry, it says the Department of Justice has to represent the United States. And when- this is Bill- when Bill Barr is attorney general, right? Yeah, but okay. the idea, let me just... What's really important here is if you sue someone who's an employee of the federal government, the good news is Congress passed a law saying there's no sovereign immunity blanket. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you, someone hurts you who is an employee of the federal government, you can actually sue them um, and the federal government will defend and they'll have to settle the case with you under certain circumstances instead of the person raising their hands and saying, you can't get me, I work for the government. That's the good news. Um, the bad news, though, is sometimes when the federal government steps in for an employee who hurts you while they're employed by the federal government, they can say, well, ah, when it comes to defamation, we still have the immunity. We didn't lift the immunity. So that's what's going on in this case. In this case, Donald Trump has argued, and the Department of Justice is continuing to argue, even under Bill Barr, that when Donald Trump spoke to reporters and defamed E. Jean Carroll that he was acting within the scope of his employment. And as a result of that, the Department of Justice must take over the case. Donald must be immune. And because it's defamation, she's SOL. She's out of luck. That's the big piece. Why are they in the D.C. Court of Appeals? This is because, remember I told you the case goes into federal court. E. Jean wins. The trial court judge Judge Lewis Kaplan says, you win. Donald was not acting within the scope of employment. You win, meaning the case can move forward into trial. Donald appeals that to the, to the appellate court. The Second Circuit says, not so fast. Um, we're looking at this law, this special law that allows you to sue the federal government employees. And we see um, that the decision as to whether a particular employee was acting in the scope of their employment isn't a question of federal law. It's a question of state law, or in this case, D.C. law. So the judges there um, said, the, the Second Circuit, um, and by the way, they heard this in December of 2021, and now it's only finally getting to the D.C. appellate court. They said, D.C. appellate court, um, D.C. appellate court, you get to decide whether he was in the scope of the employment. And here's the deal. The D.C. fucking appellate court today, utterly brilliant. They're trying to pass the hot potato. Mm-hmm. They don't want to decide. Right. And both sides want them to decide. So that's what's going on now. Well, thank you for that, uh, because it is a very important case. And um, it's as far as I can tell, it's the only personal civil case uh, that's g- getting it anywhere. <laughs> so uh, it sort of feels like Eugene is is carrying the banner uh, for those of, for the rest of us who keep getting hobbled. Um, some more good news about that. There, the, the good thing is that that uh, Lena Haba, Donald's lawyer, uh, whom he richly deserves, continues to show herself to be a moron. Uh, 
um, which is very fitting. The bad <laughs> news is that uh, Merrick Garland's Justice Department could have let this go. He could have said, you know what? We, we, we're not going to pursue this. I understand Merrick Garland, the institutionalist, who seems to think that that means having his hands tied behind his back, his being blindfolded, being gagged, um, because the, it, in, the, in the service of rehabilitating the institution, he's essentially giving um, those Americans who would see democracy destroyed a leg up. Uh, he decided to continue on with this case. And I that so regardless of what happens with the DOJ, he will be forever stained with that egregious decision because if not for that, we could be uh, in the middle of a trial or this even could have been resolved. Mm -hmm. Before we move on, Waj, I want to introduce you to Dr. Lena Rodriguez, all the way from Melbourne, Australia. Uh, it is Dr. Lena, how are you? I'm all right, but my camera isn't. So I want to apologize to everyone this flickering I want to kiss up to you that I've gone to Australia before and I went to Melbourne, not Sydney, and my friends in Melbourne have, have indoctrinated me to the superiority yeah. of Melbourne. Yeah. So, sorry, <laughs> Melbourne, Melbourne. Go <laughs> Melbourne. Melbourne. Um, I just thought you were being visited by spirits or something. It's kind of interesting. Oh, I think it's just a dying computer. I'd best do something about it. Yes. It's a metaphor for American democracy. It, it yes, exactly. Is. The lights are going out. Yeah, you know? on life support. We're on life support here. And and while before you got here, Lena was, was telling us about her sort of journey, if you want to call it that, or breakdown or whatever, yes. starting in uh, 2016, because unlike Americans, uh, Australians and and people in, in the rest of the world actually pay attention to what happens in other countries. Uh, so yeah, and also well, again, there's an old saying: if America sneezes, the world catches a cold. Right. Know? So that's why we're watching. You know. Yeah. And absolutely. in Australia's case, we followed America into every armed conflict since the Second World War. Coalition right. of the willing, hands up. You know, like. It's bizarre that the connection we've got because most Americans would have no idea. None. And it, it goes back, I remember the slogan as a child, all the way with LBJ, you know, we were supposed to say loudly at school, what, what, sorry, what, you know, like, it is so really, we're entrenched. Yeah, but it is incredible, right, Walsh? I mean, we see, we've seen this for a long time that, um, well, that was this really ridiculous way of putting it. We've seen <laughs> over the course of the both countries' histories that that they've followed similar trajectories in a lot of ways, you know, in terms of the indigenous populations and in terms yep. of you know flirtations with autocrats and uh you know the the devastating impact of um Australian export Rupert Murdoch. Thanks, guys. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, and also and being immigrant, Dr. Lena, I appreciate it. <laughs> But being immigrant countries who yeah. then demonise immigrants, there's lots of things we've got in common. You know, yeah. When I, when I was in Australia several years ago, my, my friends are well-known Australian personalities, uh, Susan Carlin and Waleed Ali, who are, yes. are Muslims. And, Icons. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, and so I went there and they said, first and foremost, it's not just Australia, but I remember during the 2016 election, uh, I was travelling and other countries, believe it or not, 
closely follow our elections, know more about our politicians than many Americans. You know, I was in Malaysia, in Indonesia, and they were sitting there looking at me. Are you all going to really elect Donald Trump? I'm like, we might. I don't know. And they were just kind of like rolling their eyes and laughing. And when it comes to exporting both our democracy and human rights and pop culture, we also sometimes export uh, warmongering. And right now we're exporting, if you will, COVID. Uh, yeah, in right, COVID. And right now we're exporting, especially what's happening in Brazil. And I think this is important uh, to see. I don't want to jump the gun, but we're also exporting the MAGA playbook for budding authoritarians. Mm-hmm. And so when they see America fall, they're like, oh, if America can get away with this, I could get away with it. It has a stamp of yeah. approval because despite even to go like in Singapore for the past five to six years, oftentimes they kind of sniff their nose in America right now. And they're like, oh, the West is dying. It's the East. But even then, America is still the top dog around the world. As Dr. Lena was saying, you know, we sneeze, rest of the world catches COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a situation in which, as Dr. Lena is saying all the way in Australia, oh, America warmongers, Australian conservatives warmonger. Um, mm-hmm. And what we're seeing, especially in Brazil right now, I think this is something that's really troubling is on the mm-hmm. second anniversary of the generous insurrection as bolsonaro was in florida aimlessly walking around <laughs> yeah the irony's yeah can't make this up uh yeah. we, ha- we have his minions trashing government institutions the difference mm-hmm. between that and the united states was at least there was a democratic transfer of power to lula but mm-hmm. who followed donald trump tit for tat bolsonaro who promoted mm-hmm. conspiracy theories mm-hmm. who talked about uh, election fraud who followed the disinformation playbook right now you're seeing MBS of Saudi Arabia. You're seeing uh, Orban of Hungary. So this is a situation where I think I think Americans sometimes forget that it's not just us fighting for our democracy. What we do echoes throughout the world and our robust defense of democracy and civil rights and standing up for women and LGBTQ and immigrants then echoes and gives hope to movements around the world who are fighting their authoritarians all the way even to Australia, which is a Freaking huge ass long flight, but I took it. It really is. It almost crippled me because I flew coach. It's been a really stressful few years. And sure, we'd all like to drop those leftover pounds we gained during the pandemic. But how sick are you of all of the ads around for weight loss pills and fad diets that never work? We've all been there. They just don't work. So do you know what does work? eating five healthy servings of vegetables and fruits a day. That's it. Do that and the weight should probably fall off. Field of Greens is a science-backed formula of specific fruits and vegetables you won't find in any other product. Proper nutrition reboots your metabolism. That means you can burn calories faster and lose weight in a healthier way. Not only is that safer for you, but it also is a better way to live your life, and the results will last longer than doing extreme fad diets. Plus, Field of Greens is the only brand backed by a better health promise. Yes, you'll look and feel healthier fast, but the greater proof comes at your next checkup when your doctor tells you how well you're doing and how much better off you are now than you were the last time you had a checkup. So let's get you started with 15% off your first order. Visit fieldofgreens.com promo code Mary. That's fieldofgreens.com, promo code Mary. You can also find the link in my show notes. 
Yeah. Oh my God. I think what this all has revealed as well, not only the fragility of American democracy, but the bizarre twists and turns of its makeup that I think many Americans haven't ever had to question. Right. Um, so so the fact that individuals can have so much sway, whether it's James Comey sabotaging Hillary or uh, Mueller being kneecapped by Bill Barr or Congress being held hostage with cinema and mansion, if you have one or two people, this is the definition of autocracy, not democracy. Right. And now we've got this new sordid development with McCarthy caving in to one person being able to challenge the speakership and we all know where that's going. This is not yeah. actually a healthy, functional democracy. It I isn't. And uh, first I want to note that probably 90% of Americans couldn't name the five people you just mentioned all the um, way from Melbourne. I mean, seriously. Uh, Comey? Who? What? Cinema? What yeah. You mean where you go see movies? Um, so that... With a That's Lululemon true. bag, by the way. You go, you go to cinema <laughs> yeah. and see Lululemon bag. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but okay. Um, she wore the Lululemon bag. She wore the Lululemon bag when she did the infamous thumbs down, remember? No. God. I, that yeah. was, <laughs> I mean, I remember the thumbs down. I don't remember what, the, 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 what the, she was watchers, wearing. Well, yeah. Someone who's watching will appreciate my exquisite political reference. Okay. No, I'm sure guys. somebody will. But the point is that, that, that I, the arrogance of the American experiment in, is that democ we, we're a democracy. We will forever be a democracy. We don't need to do anything about it, right? And, and we see that time after time with things like uh, gun safety legislation. Well, no, you can't do anything about that, Second Amendment. And yet we see example, like I think Australia is probably the most um, striking example of what happens when you do say enough is enough. We don't want to want people to keep being slaughtered with weapons of mass destruction. And look what happens. You ban assault weapons and mass shootings stop, right? Mm. We don't, we, we've never been good at this, but I think, you know, credit where credit is due. Uh, Donald taught the Republican Party to be even more, more shameless, to never, never to take responsibility for anything. And, <clears throat> Um, he taught them that chaos is their friend, right? We and that we see that unfolding. In and I think also that it goes back. Newt Gingrich has a lot to answer for because he dismantled civility yep. from the American political landscape, right? So yeah, that in turn allowed your esteemed uncle to get away with what he got away with, you know. Mm -hmm. yeah. But then the question remains, and th this is this is something. I think this is our project going forward. Not, you know, yes, it, it, we need to figure out why it took so long to the extent that they have gotten there for the Democratic Party to realize, oh, wait a minute, there is no rule book anymore. Civility doesn't matter. Uh, they will lie, cheat, and steal to get their way, they will rig everything. Um, they will blame us for everything. They will never cooperate. There is no such thing as collegiality across the, the aisle anymore. Um, so, but more importantly, we need to figure out like why, what is it that's happening in America right now that compels tens of millions of people 
to continue voting for them. I mean, right now, right, Jen, Donald is still the leader of the Republican Party. I mean, part of that, we can fault our justice system, our the serious deficiencies in our justice system for, and serious deficiencies in the way media frames things. But part of the problem is that people are really um, dedicated to the project of chaos. And as we saw in the House, just burning everything down for the sake of burning everything down. And yes, there was a question in there. Figure it out. <laughs> um, the question was, uh, do you agree with me? Or it's like a Rorschach test. Actually agree with me. No, the question was, <laughs> the question was. I will be analyzing this response. <laughs> uh, has it always been thus? And what can we do now? No. So, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about um, the role of charisma and the role of brand recognition in in global politics and i've also been thinking about the whole um authoritarian strongman kind of thing i've been uh, rereading ruth ben Giat's book and a uh, ruth friend of the show awesome a scholar on authoritarians and, and a great book everybody the book read is it. called strongman strongman and mm. my my observation and um you know, it's interesting when you when you look at something with fresh eyes. My observation um, is that you know this is from her research and and and, and places where there has been and you know at least theoretically a democracy, you know, like the U.S., even though it's taken a while for you know people of color and for women generally you know, um, to get um, the vote. In in our it. it Ever since sort of the rise of democracy, when you get to the, you know, early 80s forward, the authoritarians who've come to power worldwide, instead of coming in through military coup or through appointment, like although people always say Adolf Hitler was elected, not his first rise to power. It used to be authoritarians would rise to power through some kind of appointment or through a coup d'etat. Now authoritarians are able to get elected. They don't need military coups. And because I think a lot of this has to do with the ability to control the media, it has the ability to use various forms of propaganda to get mm -hmm. recognition. So this gets to your question. Why do so many people still support Donald Trump? Because it's Coke and Pepsi. They're choosing, they don't, people are choosing a product they recognize. Mm -hmm. They're busy trying to get through their own life. Most people have a family member who's either in the throes of addiction or jail or someone's lost a job or someone's mm -hmm. sick and they, their plate is full with what they've got to deal with with their life. And so when they're going to vote or think about voting, they're, they're, look at the choices in front of them. They're not part of usually primaries. And if they are, they don't get to choose how it's on the ballot. So they're doing Coke or Pepsi. They're doing, you know, their football team versus that football team. And they have been brainwashed to some degree by forces in the press and elsewhere that they're good people on both sides because that's not the case anymore. Well, I think also there's the hearts and minds argument that America as a construction and as a state has done brilliantly, which has convinced everyone from birth, cradle to grave, 
you live in the greatest country on earth. Yeah. And so even if you're burying your relatives, as you were saying from, you know, fentanyl overdoses or COVID that you don't think exists or preventable diseases that you can't afford to have treated, people still Let me just say, though, let me just add to that. Yes and no, because this ties back to what Mary says. People see the chaos. They see the dysfunction. And that's why they're attracted to these uh, con artist strongman figures who say, I'm going to fix it all. Remember Donald's speech about American carnage? He created American carnage. But he's, and and believe it or not, he, he can still say, look, it's so terrible. Elect me again. I think yeah, people, and I that's think, yes, exactly. And I'm an anthropologist as well as a oh. sociologist, and it's the oh, big cool. man syndrome there. Yes. So people construe um, belligerence and loudness for strength, mm-hmm. and simplistic solutions are immensely appealing. We must yes. never underestimate the power that the right is bringing everywhere, that the problem is only this. If we get rid of that, we will have the society remember we remember and want, you know. So it's very simplistic and hugely appealing. Yeah. I mean, I think it's actually a confluence of those two things. On the one hand, there's the myth of, of American exceptionalism. Uh, there is, and this, you know, these two things, I think, three things led directly to Donald. The myth of American exceptionalism, uh, that and that there was this greatness there, that there's this greatness. Um, the failure to hold people accountable mm-hmm. and um, the failures to address, acknowledge, atone for our history of white supremacy. So basically nothing's changed. We end up with somebody like Donald. A perfect storm. Yeah. A, a totally perfect storm. But on the other hand, you know, as you say, Chad, there's also this um, <laughs> upholding the myth on the one hand and creating fear on the other. Mm. And I think that's that's where where we there's the clash. It's like, OK, how can we be great? And yet so um, have things be so bad that we're terrified of everything all the time. It's because, you know, the, the, they're convincing people that we're going to we meaning people who actually believe in democracy are trying to take away everything that they believe uh, is what um, is the foundation of American greatness. And it, it makes it easier for chaos agents to come in. And, you know, the other thing, like, you know, Lita was talking about the um, complete logical inconsistency of, uh, you know, thinking that things like, um, for example, I think that Donald is, he's definitely the weakest person I've ever met in my life. Mm-hmm. But the belligerence, the bragging, the uh, the lying, the getting away mm-hmm. with the criming, a lot of people who identify with his, unconsciously, with his weakness mm-hmm. and his insecurity um, are emboldened by that. And they yeah. think it's strength, right? Um and we see how this played out in the House with the vote for the Speaker of the House. We had, you know, everybody was 
quote, this quote makes me crazy because the definition of insanity is not doing the same thing over <laughs> and over again and expecting different results. That's not the definition of insanity. Um, anyway, uh, that's a, le a legal term, but um, the truth of the matter is that that's right out of Donald's playbook. You keep mm. doing the wrong thing. You keep lying. It's a war of attrition. It's just a war of if make like McCarthy, like we look at McCarthy Wash and we see this just weak, pathetic. I I call him um a an invertebrate without an exoskeleton. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'd call I was calling him primordial ooze, but primordial ooze served a really important purpose. <laughs> McCarthy doesn't, he's a total sellout. In his mind, he was thinking, I got this. Mm. You know, mm. look how many people are supporting me. I'm going to keep going because I know. And guess what, guys? He won. So, mm. Waj, it's working for them. I mean, in a way, it is working for them, but at a cost, at a cost of both their own perceived power and at a cost to American democracy, right? And they it, don't care about American democracy. They do not. And, and so there's something that you said that I think is important. Um, and just tying some of these threads together, that one of the reasons why this is allowed to, to fester, if you will, and, and Jen was mentioning the football analogy or diet, uh, Coke versus Pepsi. Um, we saw the framing also this week, which was mind boggling to me, in that you saw uh, our press and our colleagues who know better, especially after seven years of, of Donald, they said, ah, oh, the, the extreme members of the Republican Party are hijacking the GOP. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. So you're now saying that there's a moderate wing? No, they're all extreme. That's the mm -hmm. situation. And so when you create this illusion, this narrative, this perception, this story, that, look, it's both sides, and this is how they play the game, and it goes tit for tat, left versus right, lines versus Packers. That's a football reference, Mary. Lines won, by the way. Congratulations, Thank Jen. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, uh, it's a situation on. in which you confuse, deliberately confuse the American people who are not as adept and astute as Dr. Lena Rodriguez, who are working two jobs just to stay broke, who know the stat line of a Lions-Packers game more so than they know their own local officials, right? And they say, oh, th uh, this, is, this is perfectly fine. This goes back and forth. And when the institutions fail, or rather I would say the institutions work exactly as they were designed to work, for the rich and the wealthy and the white, people say, eh, I have no stake in this. Uh, you know, who am I? I'm a nobody. What can I do? I'll only hope for the best. I'll pray. I'll tap out. But the Republicans, in my opinion, have deliberately invested in these myths, the myths of American exceptionalism. And that myth of American exceptionalism is tied directly to the myth, fragility and weakness of white supremacy, which is that America is a special country blessed by God, given onto the white man to purify. Manifest pacify, destiny, baby. And to <laughs> elevate. And then you mix it in with the Christian gospel of Christian nationalism. It is our birthright to make this the kingdom of heaven. And as such, mm -hmm. those who try to take away this purified vision, whether they're women, the feminists, the gays, the immigrants, the blacks, the Muslims, the X, Y, and Z, they're the enemies. Yeah. And as such, we must be against them. So that explains why there's been this perpetual, uh, you know, this, this tug of war where it's, you know, it's a great thing is if you've been in power your whole life, equality looks like oppression, which is why <laughs> these people like Donald Trump, who is their avatar, right, who is their representative of rage, is so weak because fundamentally they are weak. They're terrified of their own shadow because their shadow's black. So when you kind of 
I, I think Jen was saying it was the early 80s. Well done, Waj. It took yeah. me a second. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. See, this is why you pay me the big money. Uh, <laughs> money at the falafel right. in LA once in a while. Only one falafel. But, you know, as Jen was saying, the early 80s, it goes back to the Southern strategy, taking, taking to us where we are right now with the GOP. They realize, oh, we have this myth. We have this fear. We have white supremacy. Let's use the Southern strategy, play the race card, get enough whites on our side as this country is finally moving towards a racial progress, right? Yeah. They thought they could control the monster. Trump comes in, says, I, I don't care. I only care about myself. I have no decorum. I don't care about any institution. I'm not even going to pretend. He blows oh. it up. The monster now runs the party. The monster is represented by the 21 Republicans who are willing to hijack the GOP and the 118th Congress. McCarthy not only concedes his power, Mary, to the point where he is an amoeba, and you're right, I just <laughs> respect amoebas because they're useful. Uh, the, the 118th Congress now, and this is what people aren't talking about, those 21 people, those 21 Republicans, are annihilationists, Mary, who do not yes, care about government. Yes. They haven't really followed up on these people. I did a piece on them. They don't believe in the government. They, they want to abolish the IRS, abolish income tax. They want to abolish government institutions. They want to make it easier to fire government employees. You have given annihilationists the keys to the kingdom. You have brought in arsonists to the house. And so why I say ultimately it's, yes, we can sit there from one perspective and say, okay, he won. Sure, he won. But in an election where it should have, the only question we should be asking is, how big will be the Republican wave? This dude has a slim majority of four votes. It's the weakening of mm -hmm. the GOP. And we called this seven years ago. Ultimately, when you have an authoritarian or a fascist, and I'll finish on this point, you know through history it fails. Fascists turn on each yeah. other. The problem is <laughs> if they burn the rest of us as they burn. All stipulated and made great points. There's so much there. I just want to let people know that because I'm, I'm, I, I clearly we, we all think about this often. I'm writing a piece mm -hmm. called a brief tutorial on how to talk about this shit, because mm -hmm. if I see one more jur journalist refer to the 20 holdouts uh, in the House vote, the 20 Republican holdouts led by Matt Gates as conservatives, my head mm -hmm will <laughs> explode <laughs> but you know when i say he won i mean that in the narrowest possible sense he won in the only way that matters to him he is speaker of the house that won't be changed hopefully his margin will go down to three we'll see what happens with the what's his name i don't even think that george whatever is his real know. name but i think what we're seeing unfold too and this happens in cults and right-wing movements once they get a taste of power and they're now two rungs, four rungs, whatever rungs into the system, mm -hmm. it becomes competitive. Who can be more outrageous, more right, and they just keep drifting? <laughs> there is That's why there's no centre. Can now, I ask you a question? I'm sorry, Wash. DeSantis and Abbott, right in front of you. Trump yeah, exactly. Can I, so, you know, I'm, I'm really curious. You, you say the word cult and I'm, I'm really interested in cults. And as Jen can attest, we've watched, we've watched far too many documentaries on Nexium. Uh, I, I want a new cult documentary. <laughs> yeah, we need new, please need new in cult the comments, documentary. tell us. But cults make sense to me because they're closed systems and I understand how they operate uh, psychologically in terms of. Hmm. We don't need to get into what occults are, but what I 
have a harder time understanding, even though I understand that uh, information is incredibly siloed. People who are in the cult of personality that is Donald Trump live in a free and open society. So it, it's, it makes less sense to me that they, because these people are, there is something wrong with their level of dedication. Uh, and that's the part, I mean, I get the racism, I get with the white supremacy. I'm, mm. I'm talking about the fact that there is literally nothing this man can do to um, yeah, there is no to turn floor. his base yeah. off. And, and I'm having a very hard time understanding that part of it. Yeah, and I don't think there's a single explanation for this because on right. one level, it, no matter what discipline we come from or whatever, it's still hard to understand how someone would believe a New York real estate mogul would really get your life as a steel worker in the Rust Belt. Right. Who's not you even know, a mogul? But there's yeah. this fundamental disconnect from the beginning, okay? And then it gets worse because with the dumbing down of education generally and the public education system has been starved um, for so long and now it's getting radically worse. We're, we're seeing book burnings and the takeovers of, of schools and so forth. Teachers can't teach science. and So you're getting this mass dumbing down, which historically is a prelude <laughs> to other things. America got great by investing in people and their brightness and the energy, again, of migrants, because I think there's a misunderstood thing here, which is seeing migrants at the bottom of the social chain Oh, doing, doing. We forget how many migrants are at the top of the intellectual game in science and um, we have this really unbalanced view of what makes a country powerful, great, clever, innovative, cutting edge, and it's been so distorted. They're literally going back to flat earth stuff. That is not good for any country let alone 360 million Americans. Yeah. And, and this, uh, this has to do also with, with the, the language issue um, that we were talking about that is hastened by a media that seems incapable or unwilling to draw the lines that need to be drawn. Um, Brian. Hey, both. Cup reporter <laughs> from the White House. Uh, welcome. Hey. Uh, Good to see you guys. Sorry, I got stuck in a board meeting. <laughs> I hate those. Oh, the fun never stops, does it? Yeah. <laughs> um, Brian, as you know, our, our awesome guest today is Dr. Lena Rodriguez, all the way from Melbourne. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's it is a bit unnerving how many forces seem to be in place that are hastening the slide uh, that seemed invested in ways that I didn't see coming in ignorance, um, mm. you know, and, and in the turn against professionalism. I and mean, Brian, as, as a, as a reporter who's been at the white house for a long time, you know, you've seen this firsthand that this, what was once a prestige position, like mm. it was an honor to be a reporter uh, at, the, this, white house. at mm. the white house at the white house. It's now it's now handed off to, to cover reporters to use your term. That's <laughs> and why? I, well, I guess it's one it's question. Cheap. Look, it's because it's cheap. It is. It's, it's cheaper. 
you have fewer and fewer companies that own most of the media and boards uh, are that are responsible to the shareholders only care about profit. So it's far easier to hire someone straight out of college and boot them out. I mean, there has been a complete turnover in the White House press corps, with the exception of a handful of people, including me, since the end of the Trump administration. They're younger, they're uh, more ignorant, and they are quite honestly more elitist and uh, more. Th they think they're part of the system, like that they're they're in the in club. So instead of holding government accountable, which is what their chief responsibility is, they find themselves holding them holding the press, you know, accountable instead of the you know. So we kowtow to the administration rather than holding the administration accountable for what they do. Mm -hmm. And they, uh, the people that are in there do not understand the issues. Uh, I have run into several young reporters who really don't even understand immigration issues. They think, you know, I had one of them say, what do you mean open border? I thought we had a wall across the southern border. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that, this is a reporter who's in the White House. I've had others who don't understand what mutually assured destruction is or understand what, what, it, it, what our foreign policy is in Europe or having troops in Europe since the end of World War II. All of these have happened in the last two years during the Biden administration. And the Biden administration is able to control the press where Trump couldn't because mm. he was a bully and he's uh, much more in tune with uh, putting uh, people with placating people and playing to the First Amendment while at the same time, the businesses that run uh, our the, the large companies that run our business are content at putting very young reporters who don't understand the issues in. And, you know, when you have reporters going, well, these uh, uh, I actually had someone refer to a member of the GOP as a liberal. You know, I'm going there, there are no mem liberal members of the GOP. There's there's now there used to be there used to be a liberal wing of the GOP. But today it's right, far right and extreme far right. And mm. that's just and I'm not this isn't politics. These are facts. So mm. the inability to recognize facts is one of the chief problems that we have in our business. And it's not going to clear up unless we, as I've said before, bust up the media monopolies and put people of experience back in the White House. Or at least some onboarding training. <laughs> well, you know, some of that is good, Jen, but, you know, you have to have it. You have to really you really do need some life experience to cover the White House. It's not just the issues. It's being out in life and understanding how stuff works. How do you you know, I, I have seen PTAs that are more effective than Congress. And yet the congressional reporters seem to think that this is the be all and end all. This is how government works. And I say, join a PTA. <laughs> Learn how Mary, it really works. Mary, if I just do a quick follow up to Brian, you know, uh, yeah, I, I'm in Virginia, D.C. My career has been very interesting in, in, if you will, this thing called the media. Uh, I was, you know, part of CNN's lineup for a year. Um, and I can tell you what folks also don't realize is many of these individuals also come from wealth. Uh, Brian touched upon it. They come from the same five or six schools. Uh, I know people might roll their eyes. Many of them are white. It's part of the same incestuous circle. And there was a great Vulture magazine uh, article that came out a couple of weeks ago called Nepo Baby about the babies of nepotism in Hollywood. And many of us were like, uh, you can do one in D.C. And <laughs> oh, no, yeah. media and politics, right? And this lack of cultural awareness, 
this lack of curiosity, this lack of just awareness of different ethnicities, what's happening in Australia, what's happening with black people, Muslims. It's so prevalent, but there is a skill at self-promotion. There is a skill at knowing the right people. And then you sit there and you think, okay, if, if the gatekeepers to this thing called the media that is responsible for informing us about the world, uh, which explains why, you know, curious, proactive folks like Dr. Lena Rodriguez all the way in Australia know stuff about our own country that our own countrymen don't know. Well, why is that? Because those gatekeepers themselves, whose job and responsibility, I think Brian would agree with me, is to inform the public. They themselves are not informed. And when you're also running, in you will, if, if you will, for this in, in this incestuous circle to simply get ahead, to get the scoop, to get on TV, to get the, uh, the commentator contract, to get the book deal, you're also betraying the public and you're holding your punches, which is why if you look at, you know, most folks around the world, whether it's in Australia or England or even South Asia, they're like, why are your journalists so weak? How come yeah. they don't do pushback? Yeah. How come they don't follow up? And what I can tell you behind the scenes is in the green room, they're buddy buddies. They're pals. Yes. Okay. And you're sitting there, you're like, it's good to be friendly and cordial, but this is a little too close when you're dating that person. Right. Or when you're having a vacation with them and you're chilling. And you're, you're, talking about, watch, you're talking about Alan Greenspan and uh, yeah. I mean, what's her name again? Yeah. 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 I just had to say that. I'm yeah. Look, my, my, my favorite recent example of the media not understanding at all what its job is, is when I think it was the inflation, the very poorly named inflation reduction act came out and, and reporters were like, there's just too much in it. Nobody's going to understand what it does. I'm like, that's your fucking job. Yeah. You're yeah. supposed to read it and help your viewers and readers know what's in it because most Americans don't have the time. And quite honestly, they shouldn't have to read this thousands of pages. That's what that's you're supposed job. to be doing. Yeah. That's right. That's, and that's our job. But I, right. Exactly. And, and it's more like, Oh well, it's just it's no wonder the American people hate Joe Biden so much or whatever. Well, well Mary, so, to, to your point, Tim Russert said it, the late Tim Russert said it is the responsibility of the media to hold our our politicians accountable. And if we don't understand what it is we're doing, we cannot do it. And you cannot understand without without the the uh, experience to do it. When I walked into that briefing room. That first row and that first time I walked in there, that first row had about 200 years of experience among seven people. Mm -hmm. today, yeah. Today it's about 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I want to get back to a, a broader issue of, it, you know, the ways in which um, American exceptionalism interferes with America's ability to be, become it, exceptional or good even um, because and also, I just want to acknowledge that Waj has been um, in the private chat, has mentioned uh, Henry Kissinger. And I think he he's a really great example of the poisonous um, deal people make in order to get connections or be relevant in D.C. Henry Kissinger is a war criminal. Mm. And... I can't I can think of very few politicians in my lifetime who have ever said that and uh, very few who haven't just kissed his ass. Uh, I can't imagine yeah. being in the same room with that evil, evil man. Mm. 
that's a conversation for another time. Um, but, you know, I, I've, I've written this about Donald, actually. If you think you're great, there's no incentive for you to try to be good. Mm. And mm. Americans have this idea that what do they need to know what's going on in the rest of the world? The only thing that matters is what happens here. And that's why we see such a disconnect between um, the importance of Ukraine and the Republican Party's ability to uh, manipulate that situation to undermine U.S. support of Ukraine. Ukraine falls. That is that is yet another but probably the biggest domino to fall uh, towards the undermining, if not destruction, of the Western alliance and, and liberal democracies. Am I overstating it? I don't know. I think there's also been a little bit of, like, given that Trump, a.k.a. the Yeti, did his best to... We just call him Donald, although I like the Yeti. Okay, no, Donald's fine. <laughs> to dismantle NATO, and he did weaken it, considerably and part of the reason Putin went in was because um, he assumed NATO wouldn't do anything. Um, yep. So the, the fact that Ukrainians stood up shoulder to shoulder and NATO came out of its coma and acted. So suddenly there was a shift in world dynamics again that caught the attention. There was a ripple effect around the world that was completely independent of the USA. And so suddenly people were reclaiming their voices in this way. So I think the USA has got to be careful it doesn't get bypassed and leapt over to some extent, particularly in terms of research and development, great scientific breakthroughs, um, being a major player in geopolitics because really uh, the quality of people going forward is simply just not up to the task. You know, uh, yeah, and I something that gets really um, unacknowledged or uh, minimized is is the disastrous situation the Biden administration came into or inherited, and the extraordinary work the Biden administration and the Democrats uh, have done to restore, to the extent that it's possible in such a short amount of time, America's standing in the world to strengthen NATO, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I mean, I think the approach to Ukraine, though not perfect because nothing is perfect, has been extraordinary. Um, but here we are again after two years when some people are just like, well, you know, I had a Democratic representative for two years and it's time for me to vote for a Republican because why? Who knows? It's just, a, you know, that kind of flippant, um, unseriousness, uh, unserious approach towards politics is also one of the problems because now, Waj, we have uh, a, yes, a slim majority in the House, which may save us that it's a slim majority and not the 30, 40, 50, 60 seat majority the mainstream media was uh, predicting. <laughs> but even if they don't accomplish the kinds of destruction they want to, they clearly want to. And it's not just the Matt Gates. It's not just those two dozen people. It's all of them. They are, there's no right, extreme, really extreme. They're all really extreme. 
they are insurrectionists, they are seditionists, they are fascists. So, you know, let's let's not pull punches about this. So, but even if they don't achieve their end, Waj, they are using language and making threats that yet again serve to undermine us in the rest of the world. We're talking about the debt ceiling, we're talking about the rules changes and things like that. We're talking about also investigations, investigations of law enforcement. <laughs> We're talking about weakening the ethics committee. We're talking about Kevin McCarthy's concessions, including putting annihilationists. I just call them annihilationists now <laughs> yeah, on, the rules, good. on the rules committee. Right. And the yeah. rules committee is, is a very important influential committee in the house that helps like set the agenda. That's what they wanted. Yeah. And so with this slim majority uh, of four votes, McCarthy knows he has to placate the 21 extremists who are willing in front of the entire world to not only hijack the 118th Congress, but also their own party. Uh, and they mm -hmm. have McCarthy and the party by the you-know-what, and they're willing to squeeze. And these individuals, like I mentioned, if you just follow them up for a second, a majority of these 21 Republicans voted not to certify the 2020 election. A majority of them believe the big lie. A majority of them promote the white supremacist replacement lie. A majority of them believe in the deep state. A majority of them have openly said that they want to shrink the uh, government. And, you know, it's this famous terrible quote from Grover Norquist, an uh, anti-tax crusader, right? He said, I don't hate the government. I just want to shrink it to the size where you can drown it in the bathtub. That doesn't well, sound hateful at all. Yeah, it's totally no. normal, right? That's Ronald Re the direct quote. From yeah, Ronald it's Reagan. it's a Reagan. Reagan to Norquist. But Norquist <laughs> is the one who they kind of quote yes. uh, as popularizing it. And Norquist is anti-tax kind of rhino establishment Republican. But these guys, they don't want to just like, you know, sink the government. Uh, they want to blow up the bathroom, the bathtub. And then anyone who's left in the house, they'll take their AR-15 and shoot them. These are the folks that we're yeah. dealing with, right? And and I well, they got rid of the magnetometers, so there you go. There you go. And I say this without hyperbole. Three of the twenty-one, well, including Lauren Boebert, the person that you just mentioned, uh, who wants to get rid of them. Three of the twenty-one uh, were of the eleven who proactively sought pardons. The reason why I'm kind of laying this down is when you have these types of extremists who have this much power and hijack the uh, the Republican Party. Uh, what do you think is going to happen to the party? And what do you think is going to happen in Congress? So I know people might say this is a strange way of looking at victory. The Democrats, the fact that they're they're so united, which is very impressive. The fact that Pelosi and Jeffries got them into shape. The fact that they have decided, and we saw this for the next two years, we're going to obstruct you. We're going to obstruct Republican extremism, which is a good thing. Uh, what we can best hope for, Mary, is you just hold you just hold on, right? What they said about Dunkirk's survival is victory because mm -hmm. it's going to be two years of bullshit investigations, yep. two years of weakening ethics committees, two years of, I think they're going to keep trying to push impeachment for Biden. Don't sleep on that. Two years of trying to weaken the American trust in the DOJ and uh, law enforcement because the DOJ, as we mentioned at the top of the show, is doing what? Trying to do his job. I think it would, I would like it for it to do it faster and hold people accountable. So, so, that when and if they hold some of Trump, Trump uh, Donald's cronies accountable, they're going to say, see, see, it's just the deep state. That's the damage that will be done to America. And I think the damage that will be done to Congress, my hope is, if you look at what Gingrich did, because this is a remake of what Gingrich did in the late 90s, but on steroids, it ended up weakening Gingrich and the Republican Party and led to the, the if you will, the ascendancy of the Democrats because the American people also want Congress to pretend that they're doing something for them. They hate 
this type of throwing the sands in the gears of Congress. And when they're in power, whoever's in power, that party gets blamed. So the annihilationists, this is why I said in the beginning, the annihilationists mm -hmm. will harm us, but they're also harming the GOP and Donald ahead Absolutely. of the before election. And we just have to hold on. Yeah, Jen, you're muted. No, it's interesting um, what they're actually doing. You know, there's this level where they, they're, they're fighting the culture war and they're trying to maintain white supremacy. The legislation, the, the 118th Congress, the first thing they introduced is to massively cut IRS funding to essentially destroy the agency and make it um, easier, if it wasn't easy already, for the wealthy to avoid paying the legal the taxes they legally owe. Uh, you know, they're, yeah. they're pro taking the cop off the beat. They're pro tax fraud. And, you know, it's just it's just astonishing to me smaller government that that's well, what they and by the way, by raising the deficit by over 100 billion dollars, they're they're going to be doing nothing to help ordinary Americans or fight inflation or any of the stuff they claimed to want to do. Well, then also many of them don't believe in paying the income tax. So there you go. Right. <laughs> I, yeah, we, we have arrived at the reductio ad absurdum of the Republican Party claiming to stand for absolutely nothing it used to stand for. It's and it's it seems to me to be so breathtakingly obvious, but apparently it isn't. Um, and I think when when you know that it's obvious and you know that every word that comes out of their mouth is a lie it kind of makes it all uh, harder to take. So I, we're almost done. And I, I wanted to shift gears a little bit, Lena, to, um, to your sense of where we're heading. And, and, uh, you know, we spoke before the show started. I, I'm not a tarot card person. I'm not an astrology person or anything like that, but, um, in seeing your show, there was something so hopeful about it, uh, about your approach, about your assessment of things that like it really, I think, lifted all of us when when we played it on the show a couple of weeks ago. So I don't know if you've ever read the United States tarot cards or <laughs> tarot cards or, yeah. and or let not. me just say it is in a state of flux. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So on the one hand, um tarot or whatever notwithstanding, it's still in the hands of the American people. There are still at this point marginally more sane, decent, sentient beings. Where are they? Who can act at this crossroads in time. And I'm a great believer, you know, think global, act local. What can you do in your area about something? Mm -hmm. And you're more likely, because I think a lot of decent people are exhausted paralysed, what can I do, I'm only a little person, you need to actually engage with other like-minded people because the craziness, I think, will, will accelerate, but at the same time, it's due for a pendulum swing, surely. You, you know, yeah. I, I, I completely agree with you, but I, I was actually having a conversation with, I think it might have been Danielle on The New Abnormal, about the, the pendulum swinging. And it seems to me the pendulum 
as it did in the last four years, swung very far to the right. Like we got to fascism, right? And, Absolutely. But when it swings back, it never goes very far past. No, it just loops back to something center, less awful. Center left, um, if we're lucky. When are we going to get it swinging all the way to liberal progressivism? Well, because I think that's is, the corrective. That it comes back, and I know your panel has talked often about the weakness of Dem messaging. And if they could reinvent, uh, you know, get their second-tier people out there, the Katie Porters, the people to judges, there's, get them out there and make the message really simple, bite-size, sometimes down in the gutter, but you don't have to have your Bidens and people doing it. You can have others doing that. But speaking to people where they are at. And Fox keeps making the mistake of putting on Pete Buttigieg. And every time 5,000 <laughs> phone calls later, they go, oh, is this guy? I had no idea. You know, I really like him. You know, like, <laughs> and he gets flack from higher up Dems for going on Fox. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So really Dems have to get out in the heart. And they did a good job, you know, at a candidate level last time. But... It's time for the old guard, sorry, to start mentoring and let the younger ones come through because they can talk because the future is with the youth and most youth I know don't identify with your average 84-year-old. I'm sorry. There's a disconnect here. You know, it, I'm so glad you said that because we, we've had a couple of conversations and we've gotten accused of being ageist because we were talking specifically about Diane Feinstein and how it, you know, she's, she's up for re-election in 2024. She's going to be 91. And it's not so much the number, although the actual actuarial tables <laughs> have something to say about that. It's about her cognitive abilities. And, and I think, I think that Joe Biden should run again. It's not about ageism. It's about where we are and what's needed. And that's why I think what Nancy Pelosi did was so brilliant and altruistic and necessary for the party. She put in place the leadership of the next generation. And it's a beautiful thing. We saw what happened in the House on the Democratic side is entirely down to Nancy Pelosi, in my opinion. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, we don't usually do this because this is just usually, uh, you know, whoever comes on just becomes part of the group. And and as as you have, and it's been amazing. But because we're like so happy you're here, I wanted to give everybody else a chance to ask you a question. Um, and I'm I feel bad because it's only five oh nine in the morning for you, but you're up already. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you've had lots of lots of uh, good Melbourne coffee. Um, so Brian, do you have a question? Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, I actually do. But um, first. Um, what you were saying about the age stuff uh, is accurate. And I want to report and having covered these last two presidents, I watched the uh, ceremony from the East room on Friday with uh, president Biden. He was quick. He was with it. He made, it was funny. Harry Reid. Uh, I'm sorry, Harry Dunn. <laughs> Harry, <laughs> that would have been really weird. Yeah, yeah. Harry Dunn walked up large guy who, who got the citizenship award and he walked up and, and said, hey, little fella, to the president. <laughs> the president laughed, shot back a remark to him. Uh, he mispronounced the name, and the guy said, you corrected him, and he says, I'm glad you know your name. You can call me 
President Vidden for the rest of your, my time here, if you want. <laughs> the guy's with it. He's still got it. So I, I don't, you know, anyone who wants to say that he doesn't, I've, I've been with him. I've been around him. I've been in, and he's, n I was more worried about Trump. Quite right, honestly. but it's also the accomplishments too. Yeah, it, well, yeah, but you can't accomplish it if you don't have the mental state. And all I'm saying is it, he's there. Donald Trump, I was never sure he was always in. I saw quavers in his hand. I saw him, you know, stumble. I've not seen that out of Biden. Hell, he he, he took a run from for, from the east. I mean, he's he actually trotted out of the residence, shook hands with supporters, avoided us uh, reporters as he left on the helicopter. And I said, hey, baby, we're over here. Come talk to us. And he smiled and waved and took off on a jaunt, made it to the helicopter. The guy's still there. But my question to uh, to uh, Dr. Alina is uh, <laughs> Dr. Alina what I see on the inside you are so far removed from inside the bubble where I live in Washington D.C. what do you think is the biggest problem American politics faces today oh just a little thing to think about okay. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure do this for a living <laughs> yeah right no I think the for a country to survive and progress, it has to be able to reflect on its own history and behaviour. And I don't think America's there, and I think it's a million miles from there, generally speaking. So that requires leadership and vision to make it, make it crystal clear for people there are other visionary pathways to be part of. But you can't do that if you're carrying your history on your back. So it comes back to race issues and the fundamental um, situation, greatest wealth disparity in the world. Yeah. To make average people get that. And then the quick follow-up to that is you, when Biden said on the international stage, uh, there were, when he, I think it was the G20, when they said uh, he, they said, what happened to America? And he goes, America is back. And the question was, for how long? Mm. Internationally, yeah. is that still the question? How long will America be back? Is there still that overwhelming fear from what you see? I think people are more optimistic, certainly, than they were before Biden got elected. But I think there's that old saying, fascism will come to America wrapped, wrapped in, in a flag. flag, holding a Bible. Who was it? Sinclair Lewis. Yeah. That is still not only there, but it has a bigger voice than it's ever had in modern history. So that needs to be addressed, the whole secular thing. <coughs> Excuse me, more people should, you know, actually read the Constitution, which is shockingly short. I was yeah. about, I'd put it off reading it for 40 years because I thought it was this epic. It's not much. <laughs> no, not much. They were very pithy. And half of it needs to be thrown out, but that's a different. <laughs> yeah, different. Well, you put a shrimp on the Barbie for me. I so will. <laughs> yes. Uh, wash. Uh, on the flip side of that, uh, you said um, you know America sneezes, the world catches uh, a cold, or in this case, COVID. Uh, mm -hmm. But in my travels, I've also seen that people still in a strange way admire America or the myth of America or the story or the hope of America with, with the present reality and, and our present dysfunctions. What is it about our country, if anything, that still gives you hope 
uh, for America and what America can be as a model for the rest of the world? Oh, I think that's a simple one. Thanks, Roger. <laughs> In that America's always been bigger than the sum of its parts. It's an archetypal beacon, right? Mm -hmm. You know, people crawl over broken glass to get there and get shafted. Um, so it has this resonance with core concepts of freedom, despite lived experience of many. So um, as long as it holds that, it can still be something for other cultures and nations and people to aspire to because if you were sitting in an Iranian jail um, being arrested for protesting or something, of course the symbolism of America is huge. So I think that's the strength that America brings to the table. The point is I think the party members and the political class have to earn that. Or earn it back yeah that's like i totally agree with that uh jen well everyone's asked you some really good political and sociological questions and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna ask you um to to look at the cards for me however i wondered whether um you could help predict for me how well my interview with Mary on March 2nd on uh, Booked Up will go. Mary, have you marked your calendar? Because you are uh, 1 p.m. March 2nd. I just want to put a little context here. Um, yeah. Jen started a new ex excellent podcast called Booked Up uh, in which she she interviews authors of nonfiction books, uh, which shockingly I've I've written a couple of. Um and and she didn't ask me to be a guest. The show started a couple of months ago. She did not have me. And when I brought it up, she said, "Oh, I'm 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 backlogged. I it's, it's I have so many people I'm going to be interviewing. I haven't even thought of interviewing you." So, no, Mary, she's waiting to build an audience, you know, so she can launch sure. you at this high level. I can see Wadge turning wow. off his uh, mute. I, yeah. got, I got I just got casually bumped over lunch. Uh, <laughs> So I was looking forward to my. Hey, I've never been invited. And Jen's like, oh, by the way, you got bumped for some. I don't know, some some big shot. Uh, you'll come back later. Bye. And I'm like, okay. Just yeah. <laughs> so so that's the context. Is it in my calendar? It's in my calendar in pencil. Oh, just in case. Well, because you're gonna erase me. I know it. I'm I'm prepared. I'm prepared. <laughs> but anyway, continue but, with your question. Now that yes, we but have... the, but the real question is. Um, What's going on in Australia at the moment? I just saw that maybe the earthquake uh, could be felt, the earthquake from Indonesia. Are you doing okay? And there was some flooding. I'm just checking in. Oh, you. look, it's a big continent and there's always stuff happening. Yeah. You know, droughts and flooding rains. It, it's always, but the thing I'm most concerned about is our immigration policy, which is gobsmackingly awful yeah. and has encouraged other countries to turn detainees away and process, process, processing people offshore like salami. You know, it's just disgusting. So that's my overriding horror mm -hmm. at the moment of what's going on here. But it is improving active state under this prime minister compared with Scotty from marketing who we had before Oof. Pentecostal fascist nutcase, you know? Wow. 
That's impressive. It seems to be going around the globe. It really does. It really does. It it too often feels like we're on the brink. Um, And we've we've experienced that here uh, in the last several years. You know, every election is the most important election of our lifetime. (laughs) And it's never hyperbole. It's always true. Uh, And but just because it's true doesn't mean it's not absolutely and utterly exhausting and unsustainable. <laughs> so it is therefore always a joy and uh, it's always bolstering to come across somebody uh, halfway around the world who uh, believes in, in the good and has hope, uh, who has um, realistic hope uh, and is willing to talk about the hard stuff because we can't mm. pretend, you know, I, we never want to, we never want to bring people down, but mm. the fight isn't worth very much if we don't know where we stand. Right. Yeah. And, and sometimes it's hard. It's hard to hear, but uh, mm. I, we're so grateful you're here. And, and, you know, if you, if you have anything you want to say in closing, I know you've given us so much time and it's early, but uh, again, it's, it's been awesome. No, I'd really just like to thank you. Mary, for having me on, and I'm delighted to have been on a Nerd Avengers panel. It's a highlight, you know. So thanks, guys, all of you. Well, you're officially an honorary Nerd Avenger, and um, that means you'll just hear from me more than you want to, uh, probably. <laughs> Do I get a tattoo? <laughs> we haven't. Wait, gone- don't tell about the tattoos yet. That's a secret. Yeah, that's a secret. But. If you could, because we're we're gonna we're gonna end now, and I so if if you can let people know where to find you, where to follow you, uh, that would be great. Yes, so it's Lena at Tarot Down Under on YouTube. Any variation of my name or that will get you there. All so right, join the other intrepid viewers. It's a Up. wonderful community. Yeah, I think it would be a really fascinating crossover, as it has been today. So uh, to Brian Karam, Waj Ali, Jen Taub, and our uh, awesome guest, Dr. Lena Rodriguez, sociologist, anthropologist, which I didn't know, mm-hmm. and reader of tarot cards, uh, which is also a fascinating way to... Something for everyone in there. Listen, yeah. exactly. There is something for everyone there. Uh, so thank you, uh, Lena, and every everybody else my nerds uh for for everything you do and for today everybody can catch the show youtube.com slash politicon uh we will keep you posted about new episodes coming up and in the meantime please stay safe and be kind <laughs>